Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Right, hi. Um, well, thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming, Jan. Nice to see you. Um, so this is um, this is the um, Q and A live Q and A, and I'm hoping my questions are going to come up on the screen. I've got, anyway, oh, that came up. Please comment, and share. Okay, that is working. Right. So um, good. If anyone's got any questions, please ask me them but i have got quite because i wasn't here last week because it was holiday time wasn't it It was easter so uh i wasn't here last week so we've got quite a few questions going on hi zoe good yeah right we've got this going on now it's all it's all looking like it's working properly that's good um so right kicking straight off with this question right here which says um pros and cons of using the areola incision to put implants in so um this is uh the thing about a lot of plastic surgery is that there's no right or wrong and you will find that some people will use the areola incision which is a little u at the lower border of the areola some people will use the um armpit incision transaxillary and some people will use the inframammary incision and you'll find that some surgeons will use um a particular incision and that might be due to training, that might be due to experience, to um, what they're comfortable with and what they felt is to be best. And one of the issues is there's because there are surgeons that use all of them, you can't really say that one is best because otherwise, why does others, why do other surgeons use the others? So, you know, you've got to be a bit wary about someone saying this is the best way to do it because you think, well, why do the other guys not do it that way if it's not the best way of doing it? So there is no one best way of doing it and all ways are, um, are acceptable. But what I would say is you need to find someone who, if you've got a preference for a particular incision, find someone who does it regularly and, um, and is comfortable with it. Um, I have done quite a lot of stuff through the infraareolar incision. I don't routinely put implants through that incision and I don't use that incision for putting implants in personally seems to be popular in america don't know why don't know why there might be a reason why but um in the uk it's not very popular the infrared incision at least for putting implants in and i'll tell you the pros and cons as i see them but um i'll i'll preface that with saying that i don't use it much so maybe someone who uses it more will be a bit more pro about it than, than me um i tend to use the inframammary incision so the pros and cons the pros of the incision is when it heals well it heals beautifully and the reason that i know that is because i use it routinely for men when i do a gynecomastia i do the same incision it's like a u-shape the bottom of the areola and when it heals it's your one of my blog posts is something like invisible scarring from gynecomastia or gynecomastia without any scarring because when you look at it you actually can't see any scarring now there is scarring there is that infraareolar incision but you really can't see it it's it heals beautifully so the pro of it is it is a beautiful scar uh, um, when it heals well and uh that is a massive pro um the uh, that is a big pro um the cons are that the if it doesn't heal well then you're in trouble because it's on the front so the nipple you know on, uh, you know your nipples on the front of the breast whereas if you have an inframammary or an auxiliary scar if it's maybe doesn't heal quite so well it's a bit more hidden especially the auxiliary one um and the other cons for me is that because you're making a u-shaped incision of the areola you are potentially cutting some nerves to the areola so often after breast augmentation people have funny feelings and funny sensations in the breast and in their nipple now if you've used an inframammary incision you haven't actually cut through any breast tissue you've gone inframammary and you've just lifted the breast tissue up and put the implant underneath it so often the uh, sensation will come back to life because you haven't cut any nerves now you're more likely to cut some nerves going to the nipple when you do an infraareolar incision so you might have more potential problems with um, sensation of the nipple 
after an infraerial incision. And also you're cutting through the gland of the breast. You have to cut through the gland of the breast in order to put the implant in. So you're cutting through more glandular tissue. So I worry a little bit about infection and things like that. It's probably not statistically significant. Um, I don't know of studies that have looked at it, but you do have to cut through more breast to put it in through an infraerial incision. But um, but the but the main issues are the two things that I don't I that I would worry about is that if you don't get a good scar, it's on the front. It's it's hard to hide that in, incision, and it it's uh, pot more potential for uh, nipple sensation issues. So that's why I don't do it, and I use an inframary scar, and I've you know got good experience with that. But I but it's you know it's a perfectly reasonable way to do it and if you want it done that way then you can have it done that way but find someone who's familiar with it and comfortable with doing it that way um and uh, it's not too bad technically actually and if you're doing something to the nipple anyway you can go actually that's a question oh, i said i was gonna ask that question a while ago someone wanted an areola reduction yeah i said i'd talk about this yeah someone wanted an areola reduction and uh breast implants um and sure i said i'd talk about this on here um can you use the same incision was the was the question um bba and areola reduction the problem with these questions often is that um it's sort of my view and it sort of depends on your surgeon so i can give you my view on it that was a question I said. Um, my view on that, which is a similar sort of thing, so although tips it a little bit more in towards having, you know, having it through an infraerial incision is the only incision you're going to have when putting breast implants in. If you're having an areola reduction anyway, so your areola is too big, so there's going to be a scar around the areola anyway. This patient was saying, can't you just put the implants in through the areola incision, and then yes, and then why make an extra incision? And you can. Um, when I've done it, I've, and that's something for me, I talked to the patient about it. Pro, again, pros and cons. And um, I, I, it was probably, a, oh God knows when it was, probably a year, maybe two years ago when I, I did one. And I actually used two separate incisions. I actually used a separate inframammary incision just because I didn't want to cut through the breast tissue. And when you do an areola reduction, you're only cutting skin out. So, um, and the patient was fine with that and was happy with that. And to be honest with you, inframareola, Sorry, the inframammary incision usually heals so well, it's not a problem. So I felt more comfortable doing it under two incisions in that case, but I talked it through with the patient. And if you felt strongly that you wanted to through that one incision, let's say talk to your surgeon about it, and they might be comfortable putting the implants in through the uh, areola reduction uh, scar so you don't get an extra scar. Um, but as I say, there is slightly more risk of sensation to the areola problems and slightly more, you know, cutting through the gland, a bit more dissection. So it's a balance, but you, you can technically do, it, technically do it. Oh, God, we've got some stuff going on here. Um, Denis, uh, we've done that. Jan's done that. Zoe says, hi, Holly, hi. We've got some highs. Is there a size issue with impacts? Is there a size issue with impacts? Elaine, size issue with impacts. Is that implants? Size issue with implants? Is there a size issue with implants? Um, what does that mean? I think there is a limitation to the size of implants you can use based on the width of your chest. That's the main thing that may, may, that uh, determines the size of the implants. Get back to me if that's if you want. <laughs> oh, God, what's going on here now? Oh, I've got to scroll. Oh, implied it. Good evening. See you tomorrow. I'm going to see you tomorrow, Denise. Looking forward to it very much. And I've been looking forward to it for a long time. So I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow, Denise. Uh, implants implants okay size impact size issue with implants um what do you mean size issue so the main thing with implants my trident approach elaine you've seen it another blog post there is number one thing is width and then shape and profile and then that gives you the volume so that's how i tend to measure people for implants so the people focus very much on the size i focus on the width you don't really want to go out outside the width of your breast so you are limited. Everyone is limited to the size of implant they can have based on the width of their breast. Some people do go crazy and go outside the width of their breast, but I don't think that looks good. And it risks web between the breasts in mastia. It risks hitting your arm when you're walking and stuff like that. So there are risks with going too wide. So it's width that's the problem. More than volume, it's width. 
Okay, so yeah, so the width is crucial. Um, so how does body tight lipo um, tighten the skin? How effective is it? Um, again, disclaimer, I don't do body tight lipo. Uh, but in general terms, the, this sort of thing um, works by, so basically there are um, different ways that you can um, uh, tighten the skin. And these sorts of treatments say that they tighten the skin by delivering energy to the skin. So body tight is, um, is like this radio frequency, I think it's, it's delivering energy to the skin. Um, and that energy is said to heat up the skin and it, basically you can heat it or cool, cool it, damage it somehow. And it says that it, it forms some degree of skin retraction by delivering energy to the skin. Um, and that's how it, they say that it, it does it. The radio frequency delivers energy to the skin and causes skin tightening. I, I, the, the, my main concern with it, and it's like, I've just done a blog post about fat freezing. Does the fat freezing work? Um, my main concern with it, that's on my blog. Visit my blog, standardplasticsurgery.com or slash news, I think it is. Anyway, main concern with it is that I think it does work. I think it does work, but it's subtle. That's the problem with it. And, you know, it's never going to be as good as cutting the skin out. I mean, like, for instance, body tight, the, the areas where you want to tighten the skin, things like the tummy, you know, and it's never going to be as good as, as a tummy tuck. But I think it does have an effect. I do. I do think it does have an effect. Well, I don't know about body type. I've never used body type. But radio frequency, I think, does have an effect. It does have a tightening. But it's subtle. And you have to be prepared for subtle. And the problem I've got with it at the moment with a lot of these treatments is they're quite expensive. And I've got a, a worry about people not being happy if they're paying a lot of money for something and not getting a like really good result. So, so that's my issue with it. But if you're prepared to pay and be happy with a sort of subtle result, or if you can see some good result, you know, impressive results, then then I think it's good. So that's where I am. I'm a bit bit uh, cautious about embracing it myself because I worry that we're going to get people who are annoyed with us because we haven't given them a great result and they paid loads of money. I think you can give an okay result if you don't charge that much. But I think if you're charging the amount that, because the problem is these machines cost a lot of money, these machines that deliver radio frequency and what have you. So um, that that's my problem with it at the moment. I And that's why I haven't really embraced it because it's something that I am worried about people not being happy. I think with surgery, I can confidently say to people, you are going to get a a result you're going to get a result you're not going to think hold on a minute i don't feel like i've had anything done you know that doesn't tend to happen when you do surgery on people and we we'll always try and get really happy patients and we, you know we really want a happy patient and that's what has led me to be a bit um a bit worried about embracing these technologies because i you know i don't know so you, you i'm worried i'm worried about that because they are quite expensive but I think, uh, but I think they do work. I think they do work from what I've seen of them. I think they do work, but it's just a bit too subtle for me. Um, and, uh, and it's all about patient selection and, and, you know, being prepared for the, you know, a subtle result at that price. And if you're happy with that, go for it. But just be worried if they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you're going to be great. You don't need a tummy tuck. Have a, have a body tight thing. Um, if you've only got a little bit of spare skin, it might work. Um, Joshua, hi. Nice to see you here this evening. Jane Jane, double Jane, Jane squared. How there? Oh, hi there. Would you recommend liposuction on the upper arm? Some surgeons say it's fine and, other, hold on, and others say they don't do the upper arms, but I have never had an explanation. Why not? Well, it's the same thing, Jane Jane. Jane Jane, um, the problem is uh, just sort of technically speaking, the elbow down is the forearm and the elbow up is the arm. So it's not really upper arm, it's just arm. Um, a bit like the, the, the hip to the knee is the thigh and the knee down is leg. Anyway, so um, let's clear that up. So on the arms, the worry is the skin, Jane, and the, the skin on the arm doesn't, doesn't retract so well. And so the worry is if you do lipo on areas like the tummy, like the arms, which have got skin as well as fat, if you do lipo and you don't do anything to the skin, 
you get even more hanging skin because you've emptied the skin even more and you can accentuate the defect. That's the reason that people worry about doing, see me, I worry about doing lipo on arms and, and tummies because if the skin doesn't recoil, you can accentuate the defect and give more redundant skin and make the problem look worse. So you need to have some degree of skin retraction, which is why things like body tight and vaser and um, all these sort of all these stuff, which they report to deliver some energy, which reports to cause some skin retraction. It's why they exist, because it's a really important thing. If, if you know, if you could get some degree of skin retraction as well as removing the fat, then that is what you really want. So that's why some surgeons worry about doing it, myself included. Um, if you've got a little bit of fat there, then yeah, maybe lipo will help. Problem with lipo is it's quite expensive. And if so, if you've got a lot, then I would worry that it wouldn't, you'd just empty the fat and you'd have the skin hanging. Look at it in your own eyes. Just think, would that skin retract, you know? So that's that's the reason why lipo of the upper arms, oh, I've said it myself now, of the arms is, um, is a, is a, dubious point i'm sure sorry no one's explained that to you but that's that's the uh that's the explanation for that one kaylee louise how do i know if my implants are the best size for me should my breast still sag when i bend over after having uplifted implants in feb this year um well your breasts move kaylee i mean sag's a bit of a strong word so um sag to me suggests what they look like when you're erect when you're standing up normally um or sitting normally i think when you bend over I always get a bit worried when patients often come and say, look, I'm not happy about this. Look, when I bend over, when I get in this angle, look at this, it doesn't look right. I'm like, you've got to get it looking right when you're standing up straight, normal. If you get it looking right when you're in some funny bent over position, it might be that when you stand up straight, it doesn't look right. And it only looks right when you bend over, you know. So you want it looking right when you're standing up straight. So if you're bending over, I think breaths do hang a bit when they're bending over. You know, you're trying to make it look normal, really. I mean, you know, I've talked about my supernatural breast augmentation. People want to look better than normal. But, you know, basically you want a breast to look normal. You don't want it to look weird. So and normally breasts do move. And if you bend forward, especially if you've got large breasts, if you, you know, whether it be natural or with implants or a bit of both, um, you know, they will tend to, you know, maybe move or sag. Um, but. And how do you know if they're the best size for you, Kaylee? Well, you know that. Only you know that, Kaylee. We can't tell you whether the best size you can. We can tell you whether there's a good width for you, but you've got to make, match the width with the profile um, and the shape. And, you know, it, it's always a bit of a worry saying, are they the best fit? Well, are you happy with your result? That's the way, which is the fact that you're putting this on means maybe you're not so happy with your results. So, um, you know, go back and see a surgeon is my is my advice there. Um, if it's me, come back and see me. Um, I don't know, <laughs> is it me? but um, yeah, I mean, I think that you need to discuss this research because you're obviously not happy by, by the fact that you've asked your question, the question, but in itself, I don't think it's unreasonable that your, your breasts are sort of moving when you bend forward and things. It's really what they look like when you're standing, when you're sort of erect and standing up, and hopefully they're, they're sort of a bit more pert than they were before with a breast lift and implants because that's um, that's the idea of the surgery. So we're going to, Elaine's coming in with one here. Elaine, question about hips and thighs. Following the tummy tuck, I'm looking at a thigh lift, but I also left with large love handles because I didn't opt for lipo. I can't stand saggy skin. How could I possibly look at combining the two issues? Right, hips, question about hips and thighs following a tummy tuck. I'm looking at a thigh lift. Yeah, of course you can, of course you can do that, uh, Elaine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically this is the problem with the tummy tuck. A tummy tuck, often your mind and your goals are addressed around the the, the 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 middle bit the tummy tuck and certainly value for money that is where the tummy tuck uh that is where the value for money is the tummy tuck it is quite a lot more expensive when you do um when you do combine it with liposuction and liposuction addresses the sides these sort of love handles um but the problem is when you've had that bit removed often it can be a bit more obvious the love handles can be a bit more obvious and say, what have you done? You put these there and you're like, I haven't put them there. They were there already, but now the tummy tuck is done. They can look more obvious and that is often a problem. But um, liposuction responds well to those areas. Doesn't, doesn't, it's not so good for the central tummy, but it is good for the sides and the hips. And so liposuction is good for that. And if you want a thigh lift, you can have a thigh lift with liposuction to your hips, to your love handles. That's absolutely, totally reasonable. How could I, that's fine. Um, that's that's reasonable. 
Please well, that is Elaine. Yeah, easy. Well, easy. But, yeah. On the side of like Jan, straight in. Uh, subject of lipo in general. Would lipo on the upper abdomen ruin FDL results five months post-op but still have a handful of fat there? No, Jan. That would be absolutely totally reasonable. Uh, it's often the way that you have a bit of fullness there. And we try not to do liposuction to that area at the time of the uh, abdominoplasty. And so we normally wait at least minimum three, ideally six, to be honest with you, ideally 12. Five months is sort of, you know, is okay, but it is quite soon after the surgery. If you can wait a bit longer, because there might be a bit of swelling, stuff like that there might get a bit better. But um, certainly it's probably reasonable to do lipo to the upper abdomen. It won't ruin your results. It'll make them better if you've got some fullness in your upper abdomen. It's not uncommon to need, well, it's not that common, but, you know, you might need a bit of lipo to the upper abdomen after a tummy tuck or, or a fleur de lis um presumably have massive weight loss for a fleur de lis so yeah that'd be perfectly reasonable five months is sort of okay but again speech is surgeon um but yeah five months is sort of six to twelve would be probably be better just to wait everything to properly settle down depending on how bad it is we've got a double thank you kaylee and elaine double thank you thanking you for asking questions and yan and everyone else jane jane and uh yeah um i've got a question here from the bank Pulling in the bank here. Hi, I have suffered with capsular contracture on two occasions and will probably need to replace my current implants very soon as I'm starting to experience pain. Apart from removing or replacing the implant, are there any other options that I could consider to mitigate the risk of suffering from capsular contracture? Again, I already have the polyurethane implants, but this did not resolve the problem. Um, right. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, capsular contracture goes through a sequence it's a progressive condition it tends to get worse and it starts off by being able to feel the implant but you can't see anything then you then as it gradually hardens more you start to see the implant it looks like a sort of golf ball well, not a golf ball cricket ball anyway big like a ball a ball um so it looks like a ball looks like a sphere so you can look like rounded and then it gets painful and it normally goes in that sequence so i'm a bit like thinking hold on a minute you're saying you've got pain, are they hard as well? So if they're not hard and you just got pain, I'd be thinking, hold on a minute, is this capsular contracture? Particularly since you've got polyurethane implants, because as you said, polyurethane implants have got a low rate of capsular contracture. And also polyurethane implants can be a bit uncomfortable. You can feel the edges. They do have a much more of a settling in period. How long have these been in? Doesn't say. It can take a year, maybe even more for polyurethane implants to settle. They can take a while. I have had one patient who I have had to remove the implants because she had pain. It wasn't capsular contracture, she had pain with polyurethane implants. Sample size of one, you know. I think polyurethane implants are good, but, you know, this happened to one patient of mine and it's a bit of a worry. And, it, you know, and the, the other thing that worried me was, what if the pain's not caused by the implants? In that case, I did take the implants out, pain was solved. So, thank goodness, because it would be terrible to take the implants out and the pain not solved. But, you know, and I said, to her, it's not common for the implants to cause pain, but clearly they can because this patient had it. So it might not be capsular contracture. It might be the implants. It might be the fact that the tissue goes into the implants and that might be causing the, the pain and the discomfort. Um, so that's the first thing I say. I'd say that it's it might not be capsular contracture if you're presenting complaint is pain. Usually pain is an end stage complaint after the hardness and the, you know, they feel like rocks really when it gets uncomfortable with the pain. But apart from removing and replacing the implants, are there any other options I can consider to mitigate the risk of suffering capsular contracture? Not really. I'll talk in a minute about some drug that someone mentioned the other day, but it's not really something I know much about, but not really know. Um, how do you stop capsular contraction? I mean, there's some, it's a study which said that if you do a lot of horse riding and running and things that the sort of constant micro trauma can cause a bit of bleeding around the implants and might accelerate capsular contracture. Um, but I'm not going to start telling people not to do horse riding and not to go running. You know, it's sort of anecdotal evidence in that it's not causative, but it's just some people who've got capsular contracture, they look back and think, oh, these are runners and horse riders. And there's a bit of blood around the implant when they went back to do the capsulectomy. So, um, but if you've got capsular contracture, apart from removing and replacing them, what else could you do? Not, no, I don't know of anything actually on this one. Um, but I would say that if you do replace them, and especially if you've had them on two occasions, I would really worry that you're going to get it again. <laughs> so I would think, goodness me, do you want to go through this again? So first of all, is my first advice is leave them as long as you can. And my second thing is, do you want another set of implants? You know? Because if you've had it on tour, if it is capsular contracture, you've had it twice now, 
every time you do surgery, you create more scar tissue. So you've got a high risk of capsic contracture every time. So you've got a high, you know, it, it's a horrible, it's a vicious circle. It's horrible. And if they didn't have polyurethane, I'd say go polyurethane. But if you've got polyurethane already, I think, oh God, consider whether they have implants at all. The other thing is, if it's not capsular contraction, if it's just pain, it might be the polyurethane implants, you know, it might be causing the pain like this patient, you know, in this case, I removed the implants and she was pain free, but then obviously you don't have implants. So, uh, but whether it would happen with a different type of implants, I don't know. It's the one that you need to talk to. That's a proper consultation on that one. Difficult one. But the question for the viewers, is there another way of, of well, reducing the chance of capsular contracture? Um, there's lots of things we do to reduce the chance of capsular contracture, but from your point of view, not really. Just uh, stay healthy, be positive, and put up with it for as long as you can because it's going to come quicker second time around. But there's not a lot you can do as a patient, as I say, about the horse riding and running, but I don't really think that's spray tans as well. Spray tans prior to having surgery is too late for you because you've had surgery, but it's one of the things we don't ask people to do spray tan before the surgery because there might be little bugs in the in the spray and it could sub subacute infection so not proper full-blown infection but little mild infections can cause capsular contracture so that's why we asked not to spray tan before surgery anyway yeah um what's going on here on the side uh thank you thank you double thank you yan yes my surgeon said it's not safe to do it at the same time exercise isn't touching it five stone loss whoa nice one yan yeah it's yeah well i agree with your surgeon i think it's a lot of people wouldn't lipo the upper abdomen at the time of a tummy tuck so it's not unusual for surgeons to do to say that i appreciate you answering my question thumbs up my surgeon said revision at nine months ish i will continue to exercise to try and help it too yeah do that yan but if you if you you know lipo might be a might be a thing that you could do on that but yeah do do continue nine months is a good time i think can't hear you what can't can't hear you Helen hello mic number one mic number one I'm assuming people cannot Jan can hear me because I said I appreciate you answering my question hi Helen can you hear me Helen can you hear me Helen are you there right well um or is it can't hear you here anyway let's just i can hear you very low no problem with sound okay i can hear you loud right okay Woo! bit wide there everyone can hear me okay maybe if i do this is this better and riders and runners uh, <laughs> right, okay um that's better right what is capsule contracture oh helen sorry am i using terminology that i haven't explained capsule contracture is scar tissue that forms around breast well forms around any implant and we've got a breast implant show when you put an implant in the body the body walls it off with scar tissue that's normal that's what the body does if you get a bit of shrapnel in your in your in your arm or if you put a heart valve in or a knee replacement or a um i don't know some kind of implant in the body basically it walls it off with scar tissue the problem with and over time that scar tissue contracts the problem with implants they're squidgy you know if you put a a hard thing in like a heart valve or something it's not squidgy, so scar tissue forming around it won't compress it. But a breast implant, a scar tissue forming around it compresses it, and that scar tissue contracts and makes that squidgy implant into a really hard, um, hard ball. And when you go to theatre to take it out, and so that's why people say you have to have a implants changed every ten years. You don't have to have it changed every ten years, um, but after around five or ten years, they might start to go hard, and you might want to have them changed. And it's usually due to capsular contracture. This scar tissue forming around the implant, making them feel hard. You take them out, you get this hard ball out, you open the hard ball, and there's an implant in there, which is fine. The implant's not a problem. The problem is the scar tissue that's formed around the implant that's gradually contracted over the years and made it feel hard. So that's capsular contracture, and it's a real problem for, for breast implants because it's a reason you might need further surgery in the in the, in the future. Um, okay, so uh, that's capsular contracture in a nutshell. So can I... Hold on a minute. Where are we up to? I've suffered. Right, we're up to this one. Can I get some advice on the excess skin on my hips and flanks? Yeah, this is someone who. Got, <laughs> this was the message on Facebook Messenger. That, that we got no context here. Can I get some advice on the excess skin on my hips and flanks? Um, well, hips and flanks is a good area for lipo. 
So normally when you talk about excess skin, I think about cutting it out. But actually, there are some areas where the, the skin is thicker than other areas. And so the hips and the flanks, the skin is thicker than on the abdomen. For instance, the outer thighs, the skin is thinner than the inner thighs. When we take skin grafts, we always take it from the outer thigh rather than the inner thigh because the skin is thicker. Um, digressing there, but um, because the skin is thicker, it recoils better. So for instance, the hips, the flanks, the outer thighs, they respond well to liposuction. The inner thighs don't respond so well to liposuction because the thin skin's thinner and you do lipo and you get this, this, this redundant skin. That's why you often need a thigh lift because a thigh lift addresses the inner thigh rather than the outer thigh. Um, so yeah, so the an answer to your question, some advice on the excess skin on your hips and flanks, it's probably skin and fat, probably. I mean, you might have rolls of excess skin, but if it's, if it's skin and fat, then liposuction might be an option for that because as I say, often the skin will recoil. And so you don't often need to do skin excision for hips and flanks. So, um, Holly, Holly Sparkle Hill, what a name, Holly Sparkle Hill. Um, please, can you tell me how risky it is to have teardrop shaped implants re them moving out of place? My surgeon said teardrop shapes would best for me, but I'm worried about them rotating or free feeling really fake. Um, yeah, the main problem with um, teardrops is the rotating rather than feeling really fake. I think feeling really fake is sort of not so much of a thing. But, um, but yeah, rotation is a thing with uh, teardrop implants. So that is the problem with teardrops compared to uh, round implants. Um, it's less common if you're having polyurethane. Polyurethane are much less likely to rotate than silicone implants. But um, um, yeah, which would be best for me? I think it's really important to go with the shape that you want. And I think if teardrops going to be best for you, then go for teardrops, particularly if you're very slim and you want a natural result without too much fluid in the upper pole. If you haven't got much breast tissue, then teardrops really come into their own. And so um, it's it's a balance, isn't it? You want to get the look you want. You don't want it to rotate, but you want to get the look you want. So I wouldn't go with an implant with a, you know, like a round implant um, and get it not looking the way you want it to because you're worried about getting a potential complication, which might not happen. So, yeah, it's a, it's a balance, Holly, and it depends on how, you know, so I would probably go with them, to be honest with your surgeon saying you're going to get a better result with the teardrop and that's what you want. But but you'd have to just go in eyes open and say, yeah, there's a risk. There's risks. There's risks with everything. And um, there is a more of a risk. There's obviously a risk of rotation with teardrops. You don't get the round. But if that's going to give you a better shape, that's the whole point in doing the surgery. You know, otherwise don't do the surgery. No risks then. But you don't get the result you want. So, you know, I wouldn't go halfway house and get a lesser result for less risk of complications. I'd go with the result you want because it's not like it's a huge risk. It's just, you know, an extra risk. Mine's not like that. Mine's gone really soft. That's good, is it, Helen? That's good that it's gone soft, I think, rather than hard. I think that's good. We want them soft. Uh, Zoe, after an eight stone loss. Wow, eight stone loss. Tummy tuck and lipo to flanks. What would you advise for the wobbly back of my hips? Tummy tuck and lipo to flanks wobbly back of my hips back of my hips i'm thinking back of my hips is sort of flanks i'm thinking flanks sort of like where your where your kidneys are sort of around the back there um lipo liposuction probably as, as i say liposuction works well in those areas um so yeah if, if i've got the area right i'd say liposuction would be probably the way to go elaine my uplift numbers up are you still love them elaine boom oh thanks elaine nice to hear don't, don't see you anymore. Come to clinic if you want. Nice to see you. It's good to hear, though. It's lovely. Thank you. Thanks for that. Holly Sparkle Hill. Thank you. Um, right. So what do we got here? We've got a question here. Where is it? Right. This is a good one here. This is a good one. Does the pubic hair move up when having lipo to the mons? So here we go. I am booked for tummy tuck, breast lift, and lipo to flanks. My question is, is a lipo to the mons area a good idea to have at the same time? I do have a pouch of fat there. Just concerned the pubic hair would then move up too far if it's worked on. Or is there something else that causes the hair to move up? Just asking because I've heard women talk about the hair being in their scar, etc. and being an issue for them. Yes. Yes, it is. And this is why I always say to people, you've got to be a bit careful with what you do with the mons 
at the time of a tummy tuck because and it's it's really good that you're addressing this before having surgery because you've you know um, identified the problem people with who have a tummy tuck often don't realize the mons is quite full and you do the tummy tuck and there's a big bonds there and they're like what the heck and you're like well that was always there but it was sort of hidden by the, the apron of, of the tissue and a lipo doesn't make your lot mons move up so does the hip so answer your question does the pubic hair move up when having lipo no lipo will not make the mons move up so lipo is fine so if you just have any lipo you find mons it's fine um and the main thing and but what you're talking about is is a is a thing about that the, the the mons being pulled up the, the the pubic hair being pulled up uh, and it looking wrong and you can get clitoral lift which can actually be quite uncomfortable if you try and move the mons up too much and that's when you excise mons so it's a bit like what i was saying earlier about the lipo just removes the the fat and doesn't do anything to the skin if you've got a very prominent a very totic mons or a sort of big um pouch of a mons and just you just do lipo and it doesn't really take any skin out if you have to start taking skin out and taking a wedge of skin out of the mons and lifting the mons then you can lift the pubic hair up and this is why i always say to people that it's limited as to what you do to the mons at the time of a tummy tuck because a tummy tuck you're pulling all the tissue down you're pulling it all down you want the scar to be as low as possible you want that lower scar to be um set where it is and then you pull the upper scar down to meet it if you start guddling about and taking some mons out and going down south then and you release the mons then the mons can lift up and then you get the clitoral lift you get the pubic hair moving up and it doesn't look right that the look doesn't look good so i would be very cautious about having any excision of the skin and that mons area at the time of a tummy tuck so for this don't worry because if you're just having mons lipo that's okay mons lipo will not remove that mons up mons lipo is okay it's when you start doing excision of the of the tissue of the mons that it can lift it up um, but if you've got a very toxic mons you might need excision but i would always say it's better to do it later to have the tummy tuck get it healed get that scar anchored where it is and then you can go down south and bring it back to the anchored scar if you do it at the time of the tummy tuck the tummy tuck scar isn't anchored it's mobile and so it'll move up that makes sense so be careful about what first of all great that you've recognized you've got a problem with the mons or the mons is full so you're not disappointed after so you're realistic about your expectations but um it's, it's wise just to go with some lipo to the mons at the time of a tummy tuck and if it's still too totic too much skin there you could always have an excision of that skin but it's better to do that later rather than at the time of the tummy tuck because you don't want it the, the, the high hairline and it looking wrong so that's usually when you have an excision. I hope that's not too too technical. Um, just going to put that up just for a minute. Yeah, just put that up there. Yeah, thank you. Right, risk of either. So this is a big long. Um, this patient's had loads of problems. She's had lots of implants and had them taken out and put them in and seen lots of different surgeons and. Um, you know my feeling is like do you want any more sur uh, surgery to be honest with you because you had so many problems but anyway i think the question that i said i talk about here and i don't know if, you, if you, you can always chip in but the question i talk about here is one of the issues she had well i'll read it here um however when deciding all this he said this is talking about this is the end of the email he said there were some doubt about polyurethane implants causing alcl uh, in brackets lymphoma and offered me new lightweight implants in their stead he said he would put me on a drug called accolate which is thought to help with encapsulation he also told me the ASL is very rare one in 80,000 but was a slight concern against polyurethane I am in a quandary as to what to do all my problems were with encapsulation and having found a willing surgeon who has successfully removed all my awful scarring but I now have to decide between the small risk of ALCL or the much bigger risk for me anyway of encapsulation so basically what this patient is saying is they've had problems with capsule contracture all sorts of problems there they've said all oh, these polyurethane foam implants they're really good they're really furry they're, 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 they've got the foam on the outside and the tissue grows into the foam and therefore when it contracts it contracts in all different directions so it doesn't contract like a a, a shell around the implant and um so they've got a much lower rate of cancer contracture isn't that great so if you had loads of problems with cancer contracture polyurethane implants are really good it's got a much lower rate of cancer contracture and that's like a godsend for for um for people who have problems with cancer contracture but then this the alcl has come out 
and ALCL is thought to be, we don't really know what causes it, but thought to be due to the texturing or the roughness of the implants. And of course, polyurethane implants, their main thing is that they're rough, they're foam, you know, they're, they're much rougher than, than, um, than smooth implants. Um, so that's why France, and if you heard France, have banned all textured and polyurethane foam implants, and they're only using small, uh, smooth implants. Now, I have to say, the implants that you have been offered there which is the um uh she said the lightweight implants the lightweight implants these are b light implants i suspect because they're the only lightweight implants they do and b light implants are textured implants so you know they are they also have a risk of alcl the textured implants um and it this is a really interesting thing now with this alcl and people moving towards smooth implants because and on the face of it, if you said to someone, do you want to have the implants that can cause cancer or not? Everyone would say, not. I'll have the smooth one, please. I don't want polyurethane. I don't want textured. I want the smooth ones. Get away from me with those awful cancer-causing implants. They're terrible. And I can totally understand that. And if people say that, then that's fine. You can have a smooth implant. No problem. Having said that, we still do offer polyurethane and textured implants. You might say, what? You offer these cancer implants terrible person the reason we offer it is because it's about having informed consent and realizing what the risks are because there are risks with both of them there are risks with having polyurethane ones there are risks with having textured and there are risks with having smooth now the risks of having um polyurethane slash textured implants of getting alcl is very small not only that if you do get alcl if you're one of the 10 15 people per year worldwide it's very small the numbers of people who are diagnosed with alcl it is treatable most cases are treatable by removing the capsule so it's a treatable cancer it's not like breast cancer breast cancer is a you know bad cancer your best cancer happens in one in eight people you know this is one in thirty thousand, one in fifty thousand, and it's got a very high uh, cure rate uh, with alcl so the, you know there was a study a while ago talking about the risk of dying with having implants in the risk of dying is something like half the risk of living in new york for two days or going skiing for a week you know you would have no qualms about living in new york for two days having no qualms about going skiing for a week but your risk of death by doing those things is twice your risk of death perhaps with having textured implants in for life so you've got to balance the risk yes there is a risk just like there's a risk if you go and drive on the motorway that you might die but it's very, very small. And you've got to balance that against the benefit. And we've got to balance risks and benefits every day of our lives. Every time we, you know, put the cooker on, every time we get dressed and walk across the street, we're balancing risks and we could die by the things that we are doing, but the risk of it is very small and the benefit is enough to take that risk by the fact that you want to get to the other side of the street or you want to go skiing or you want to go to New York or you want to drink a glass of wine or, you know travel on the m42 or whatever it is so there's risks with everything so you've got to balance those risks and the and the problem is that if if you is like with light then fine but smooth implants have got their own problems smooth implants were the very first type of implants that they made and then they progressed by making them textured and polyurethane by you know these are advances of implants to make them less likely to cause capsular contracture less likely to move the texturing makes them less likely to move and so, you know, so smooth implants, you can't get teardrop, forget it. They don't because they just wobble about all over the place. So um, and, you know, recently I've, this has happened recently to me because I've I've recently just had a patient who has had an implant flip, flip on itself. And um, this is only something I've only ever seen once before. And I thought, wow, this is a round implant. So it's not a teardrop implant. And it's flipped in the sort of that direction. So the back has gone to the front. I thought, wow, that's uncommon. I've said, you know, I hadn't seen it before years ago. Poor crikey. And then what happened? She phoned up a few weeks later and the other ones flipped. They both flipped. I haven't taken, fortunately, I haven't taken them back to theatre to unflip the first one. So they both flipped. And I'm thinking that these are new, these are brand new implants. And I'm thinking the implants are becoming much less textured now because we're worried about um, ALCL. But when they're not so textured, they're more likely to move and cause different problems. Now, you might say, oh, crumbs, I can cope with flipping, you know, um, I don't want ALCL. But it's just that the risk, the, the risk of ALCL is so low, you've got to be careful and just be informed about 
whether if you do want smooth implants, they are, you know, the first generation of implants were smooth. They were the sort of base like in the 1960s. That's how they first made them. And the other, the texturing and the polyurethane, all that sort of stuff were advances for a reason. And there are good things about texturing. There are good things about polyurethane. Um, and so we do offer all of them to patients still um, because it's about weighing the risks versus the benefits. So this and this patient's got a huge risk of, of capsid contracture. So, um, you know, she's got to weigh out the risks herself between the risk of capsid contracture by having um, these lightweight implants, which are actually, actually textured silicone implants, uh, versus um, the risk of ALCL. But I understand it's very emotive ALCL because it's cancer and it's, you know, that's obviously that's a terrible thing. But it's a curable thing and it's very rare. But still, at the end of the day, you have to balance it up. And Elaine, love you, Elaine, saying she's got textured implants and she's happy and I'm happy too, Elaine. Um, Sparkle Hill is in. How is ALCL detected, please? Great question, Sparkle. Um, so the um, it is a swelling or a lump. Uh, and it usually occurs sometimes having uh, sometime after having implantation, like about eight years after implantation. So if you get a swelling or a lump, usually unilateral, i.e. one side, um, you should go and see your surgeon. To be honest with you, we'd say that anyway. Like if you've got a swelling or a lump, come and see me, you know. But but certainly nowadays, because it's only a recent thing, ALCL, uh, nowadays it's one of a swelling or a lump, we think, oh, ALCL. Um, and, uh, it's, and it's usually the, I offer everybody yearly follow-ups, Elaine, come back and see me for everybody yearly follows they don't have to come back every year but i offer it to everybody but it's usually picked up by the patient so it's something the patient will usually pick up so if you have a lump or swelling the advice is go and see your doctor you don't have to panic if you haven't got any problems if you've got textured implants in if you've got polyurethane implants in there's no problem you don't need to do anything you don't have to have any scan or test or anything like that um, but if you do develop a lump or swelling you need to go and see your doctor <coughs> to be honest you need to anyway lumps and swellings we worry about with breasts you know breast cancer is much far more uh, far more um common and something we really need to be worried about so we need to be looking for lumps and swellings in our breasts anyway um because that's but but, but that is how it's detected usually by the patient roseanne is in because i was going to say that was the last question actually roseanne so this is the last question now roseanne's got the last question well, this is another question after, in which case you'll have the second to last. Um, what's the best way to prevent infection after a TT? Um, good question. like it. So there's things that we can do and there's things that you can do. So things that we can do is we've got to be careful with the attention, be careful how tight we make it, be very careful with our tissue handling, um, keep it clean with dressings, what have you, although you only need dressings for a week or so. Dressings aren't as important with infection as you might think. Um, for your point of view, Roseanne, what you need to do is you need to stay positive. You need to have a positive mental attitude. I don't want to get weirdy beardy. I don't want to get spiritual, but I think it is important to be positive and, you know, don't focus on the badness. If you are worried about anything, you need to get seek, seek help early. Um, don't worry be too much. Infection is not normally a big problem with tummy tuck. It can be, but it's not normally a big problem with tummy tuck. Uh, but if you do notice a bit of redness, a bit of pain, a bit of discharge, then go and seek help early. You need to take it easy. You need to not be doing exercises and things like that. You know, don't want to be putting tension on your on your abdomen. So take it easy. When you first have it done, you'll be bent double. Don't, you know, just taking the tension off your abdomen. You need to eat healthily. You've got big wounds, tummy tucks are massive, great big wounds. Eat healthily, fresh fruit and veg, uh, drink plenty, don't smoke. Number one don't smoke i'm not saying you do smoke because i don't know you know but if you do smoke for goodness sake don't smoke to the extent that i don't have a problem with smokers there's no problem at all if you want to smoke that's absolutely fine but if people smoke and they need a tummy tuck i would say to them don't have a tummy tuck it's that bad don't have a tummy tuck. if you can't stop smoking don't have a tummy tuck same with the mastopexy same with the breast lift all these surgeries same with the facelift if you have to all these surgeries rely on everything being closed tight that's the reason you have the surgery and when it's closed tight every time you have a cigarette you reduce the blood flow to your skin and you increase your risk of wound breakdown the only really big wound breakdowns i've ever seen i think i can say this have been in smokers now that doesn't mean that all smokers get big wound breakdowns but the rear, if you see a really big bad wound breakdown the first thing you think is is it a smoker and it you know so that's the big thing don't smoke um stay positive 
eat healthily, take the tension off, stay close to your surgeon, any problems, any bit of redness or anything like that, um, get help. But don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's, it's often, sometimes you get little bits of wound breakdown, little bits of stitch spitting out, not really proper infection, just a bit of redness, a bit of inflammation. Um, but yeah, great live, Jan, yes, smashed it. Holly, great live, double great live. Elaine, I'll be booking consultation with a thigh lift. Great live. God, look at this. Got business out of it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Looking forward to seeing you, Elaine. Um, well, thank you for that. And um, great to be back. I missed it last week. I tell you, I missed it. Great to be back. I'm going to sign myself off now. <laughs> I'm signing myself off and I'm going to go and have a lie down. And see you next week. Any questions, ask them please on facebook or um or somewhere else i'm kind of either thing that says oh look oh helen's in with a late one i used annika to heal annika 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 i think you mean arnica is it arnica arnica is supposed to be good for uh, bruising isn't it helen yeah a lot of people say that i wonder if we should sell it at the clinic um i'm not sure what, whether there's um evidence on that but a lot of people say arnica is good the thing i do find helen though is that often you don't get much bruising anyway so that's why i don't really go heavy on the arnica um because i i don't see bruising as a major thing in most of my patients sometimes occasionally you get a bit, a bit of bruising but it's often not a big thing um so sometimes people say oh look at that i've used arnica and i've got no bruising and you're like well don't normally get bruising but you know i'm not not don't want to knock it i don't think it does any harm so that's the that's the main thing so yeah but there's big up arnica i'm assuming it's arnica helena not, not actually annika i'm going to google annika now and find that it's actually something totally else something else roseanne loves listening to me thank you that's kind it does mean thanks something thank you great to have you bk look at that zoe you can't even write back let's abbreviate back bk thanks for having me bk zoe and that's it oh that's arnica i think yeah okay so Good night, and um, I'm not going to say God bless. <laughs> it's like Bruce Forsyth. I'm trying to say the thing, thing is, please ask a question, but I can't find it. Anyway, let's just assume something down there says, if you've got any questions, ask me. Put it on Facebook or something. I don't think I've got a thing that says that, actually. I thought I did. Anyway, um, checking myself out, and next Tuesday, 7 p.m., right here or, or somewhere. Um, Jan, I am going to go and get a cuppa. That's exactly what I need. Go and get a cuppa and a lie down. And I'm going to read my book. All right, then. Thanks and good night. See you next week. Bye. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.